pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Uh, I thought it was probably one of our worst bowling displays that we've put on for a very long time. We bowled both sides of the wicket. Uh, we gave them a lot of freebies and it was pretty ordinary, to be honest with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel a.k.a. Menas, and that was Steve Smith blasting his bowlers for a subpar performance in the first game of the Champions Trophy. And we're going to look into all that this week. And joining me is an extra special guest. And I've sort of cut down this introduction as her appearances have become more frequent because it's just too long. So I'm going to just say one thing. Current Sixers WBBL champion, Lisa Stalaker. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Menas. Yeah, I like that. I like that tag. We'll just go with that. Yeah, your list of achievements is so long. <laughs> we'll be here for an hour just going through them. So, yeah, the fact that you're the current Sixers champ is excellent, as I'm a big Sixers fan. How are you? You've just come back from the IPL. How was it? It was great. Amazing. Uh, IPL is always a blast. It, it is the biggest show in the country. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, billboards are up, ads always on it. Everywhere you you go, people are talking about it. So it's exciting. Obviously, uh, I travelled around to different parts. So I was in Rajkot, Mumbai, Kolkata, Hyderabad and Kampur uh, and Delhi as well. So uh, got to see a bit of uh, India and certain places that I hadn't been before. So a bit of the sightseeing as well. Excellent. What, what's, the, what's the vibe like over there? Uh, you know, everyone says it just takes over the country. It's every night is about the IPL. I mean, I like on the weekend that there's double headers Saturday and Sunday, so it's like a whole day's IPL cricket. I mean, it, is it really as intense as it comes across on the screen? Yeah, it is, uh, and it's a shame that we uh, here in Australia we miss out on that, given the fact that the, you know we have a lot of our main players over there, our coaching staff, and actually in the commentary box we had more Australian commentators there than uh, Indian commentators. So Australia tends to dominate the IPL, but we kind of miss it back home. But the fact that, like I said, everyone talks about it, the stadiums get packed out, and because it is on every night, a little, little bit like the Big Bash, the nation stops you know, at an eight o'clock time, especially um, during the week. And they're not, like you said, weekends, they have the double headers. And, and actually this year they had a lot more double headers on Friday and Monday as well because they tried to jam pack the tournament in for Champions Trophy. Excellent. What's it like for you over there? Do you find that, I mean, I know cricketers when they're in India, they just can't, I mean, they can't even walk down the street without getting stopped for autographs. <laughs> I mean, has that happened to you? Do you get a lot of... Um... Not as much as the guys. And I'm thankful for that because I, I do feel sorry for the players and sometimes the commentators because they can't go anywhere without uh, being asked. And it's not autographs. It's the selfie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the new autograph. One photo, one photo, one selfie, please. So, that, you know, that's constant. And once you say yes to one or two, you actually get hounded. Uh, a lot of the time when I um, left the stadium with fellow commentators, I would actually just walk in front because those guys would get hounded and I'd just stroll on through. I'd go, catch you guys later. <laughs> and security guy would be worried about me. And I'm like... I'm not the one to worry about. How about you look after the main guys? I just walk through. So uh, I I like the fact that I go under the radar a little bit. That's good that you go under the radar. And interestingly, the, how we met was you didn't go under the radar at my cafe. No, so you, you were good. <laughs> you came into my cafe, Two Good Eggs Cafe, excellent cafe for excellent. lunch. Excellent, wonderful you, food. And you paid with a 
a credit card. And I just, as a habit of mine, I always look at the name on the credit card because I had a restaurant for many years. And I just, oh, didn't Lisa still like a play for Australia? And I think when I mentioned that to you, you were shocked that someone had brought that up to you over breakfast. Yeah, I was shocked. And I kind of get probably a little bit shy because you certainly don't expect it. And yeah, you you sometimes you're not quite sure how you're supposed to react. I think so. You, well, you, you said did, yes to coming on the podcast. I so did, and now I'm still here, aren't I? Yeah, a few, couple of years later. <laughs> uh, just with the IPL, I, I actually this year engaged with a lot more than I have. I bought the streaming parts, and it's something I've got to give you a heads up about. But uh, I just thought there was a few things I liked about it. I liked the the 14 game season that every team plays each other twice. I would really like to see that in the Big Bash eventually. Although I think Australia needs to work up to it. Do you think it could work here? I think you've got to look at the timing. So obviously the tournament goes for six weeks. I don't know if we have six weeks in our schedule. I mean, that's something we're probably going to talk about a little bit later on. How do we fit in all of the formats and make sure that they're um, decent competitions or they mean something? Uh, 14 games and and, to, and also to kind of get the international calibre. Are they going to have a six-week break off from their international duties or are we going to have players chopping and changing is that going to be an issue um, does it lose its interest Do players uh, sorry franchises uh, get disadvantaged because of that so I think there's a lot to go about it I think the thing to remember is you want it to be relevant for the audience here the domestic audience whilst the global audience is important from a TV rights deal it's got to fit the domestic um, fan base. So I think at the moment we've probably got it right. Yeah, I'd love the star power that the IPL has to start to come here, get more Aussie stars involved, even more international stars uh, playing Big Bash. Because I think that's the, the key point of difference now is that if I want to see Steve Smith and David Warner play T20 cricket, it's not for Australia and it's not for Sydney Sixers or the Thunder. It's going to be for their IPL team. Correct. So I think that's what we need to work towards changing. Yeah, just on that, um, obviously, whilst we're over there, we discuss, as commentators, we discuss different ideas and concepts. Um, And one of the commentators suggested that basically T20 cricket should just be franchise cricket and that every two years or four years, it's just the World Cup. So you don't actually have international T20 games as a series. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, and I think think that, that might work. I think it definitely would work. Now, something I just want to give you a heads up. And when you go across to the IPL next year, you can sort this out. Okay, sure, because I'm the big wig. Well, it does affect you. So, you know, they stream it worldwide. Someone has not realised that they just turn the stream on at the beginning of the day, like while you're all rehearsing and setting up. So if I want to go on, I can just see like Sanjay Mandraker talking to himself about his lines or, you know, once there was Trent Bolton, I think um, Michael Clark having a bit of banter where they didn't know the camera was on. I mean, I'm not the sort of person that would go trawl through that footage for gaffes or, you know, people dropping swear words or, or anything. But I don't know if it's a great look. I don't know if Sanjay Mandraker would want him talking to himself or pretending Matt Hayden's there broadcast to the whole world before he goes to air. So I just think tell somebody, turn the stream on when the coverage starts, not beforehand. Yeah, well, it's one thing that I have learnt uh, the hard lesson of is that whenever you've got a mic on as well or there's a camera... Pretend it's on. Pretend it's on because you could be in trouble. Uh, So uh, I'm sure Sanjay Mandraker, if I was to tell him that uh, people were seeing him practising his lines, he'd hate that. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Something needs to be done and I'll uh, I'll make a few calls. Good. 
Excellent. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, as long as you feel better, Manners. Well, I also I was worried for all you guys over there that one of you was going to do something really embarrassing and it would become a viral moment. I just know there's some real trolls out there, Lisa, Yeah. on Twitter. Now, um, let's get into the Champions Trophy. It's it's begun for Australia and it, it, I think it begun quite badly for us. We were 3 for 53, chasing 235 of 33 overs. That's a Duckworth-Lewis target against New Zealand in our first game. And luckily the rain came because I think we might have lost that game. What do you think? I think we are in a lot of trouble. Uh, I think the fact that we had lost, even though Steve Smith was still not out, yes, and he's He's the anchor of the Australian side. You're putting a lot of pressure on our middle order that hasn't necessarily performed as well as we would have liked them to in the past. And coming over to England, um, I think we missed out on a practice game. So I think the players were a little bit underdone from um, the conditions point Mm. of view. Yeah, and just a bad start. And the bowling was a big concern. So we heard at the top of the show Steve Smith say how bad the bowling was from Australia. We looked very rusty. We also dropped a catch. Your man Mitch Stark dropped a catch. Uh, They missed a run out in the field. Pat Cummins went for almost seven and a half and over. So did John Hastings. So it was a really wayward performance. I mean, can you pinpoint any reason? Do you think the fact that Hazelnut and Stark didn't play in the IPL affected their rhythm? I think it did to a certain degree. I mean, Mitch Stark is coming back from an injury, so he hasn't probably had the best preparation that he would have liked. He didn't seem to be swinging the ball as much as he normally does, and he's a victim of his own success. He normally gets a wicket in the first over, <laughs> first or second over of every one day. I mean, there was that spell where he seemed to do it a dozen times, and if he doesn't get a wicket early... We're saying he's bowling poorly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think I think the players... Uh, I agree with um, Steve Smith, missed their line and lengths and they probably bowled a little bit too wide and they got punished for that. The great thing about the fact that it was washed out, we still get a point and all they need to do now is they've got to almost play like they've got, they can't afford to lose a match. And when you kind of get in that situation, you expect your main players to stand up. And I, I do think we'll see the likes of Warner, Smith, Stark, Hazelwood all perform really well. And then you'll have the bursts of from, you know, maybe Travis Head, Finch, Enriquez, Stoinis if he comes in. So, yeah, I think we've still got plenty of firepower. We can shake off the cobwebs. Um, do you think this pay dispute that's going on has been a distraction for the playing group? I don't think so. I think I think they're aware of what's going on, but they're such professionals that they, you know, they travel 11 months out of the year playing in all sorts of tournaments. They know when to turn it on and when to when the, to flick the switch off. So you have to comp- compartmentalize those yeah. type of issues, don't you? And I think, you know, a lot of them would have gone through difficulties off the field in their personal life at some stages and you may not even know that because their performances are still you know running slickly on the field so I think they're they're professional enough especially this group that have played a lot of cricket they know uh, what to put aside and, and when to focus. Now, uh, it was an ex-Aussie came back to haunt us. Luke Ronke smashed 65 off 43 for New Zealand. He paid four ODIs for Australia and was the one-time deputy for Brad Haddon. Now, opening the batting for New Zealand, looked to take over the Brendan McCullum role and just go for a slog early on. Um, Kane Williamson scored an even ton. And... Look, I really think Kane Williams is a fantastic batsman, very elegant. But of the elite batsmen that are playing at the moment, you've got 
Steve Smith, Joe Root, Virat Kohli, De Villiers. I think Williamson is probably the least exciting for me to watch and the least fluent. What do you think? I mean, I, great I, player. I think, I'm not saying he's no, a no, great no. player, but if I were to choose which one to watch, he would be in the bottom of that list. He almost goes unnoticed. So you've got Coley, who's a passionate type player, um, who kind of you see more from a, a facial, emotional point of view. He's always interesting to watch. A.B. de Villiers for the fact that he can hit 360 and just put his foot on the accelerator when he wants and, and gets away with it. Smith, he's, he's unorthodox. So Kane Williamson is is almost too good. He's too technically correct that you just lose lose him and I think from an very compact yeah I think from an opposition point of view he does a lot of damage without people knowing all of a sudden you look at the scoreboard and you're like what is 50 how did he get to 50 yeah so I think in in that sense he can be even more dangerous than the others because you tend to notice them a little bit more yeah, I just love watching De Villiers bat and Coley when he's going, you know, just such a fluent stroke play. But yeah, Williamson, great innings, got us New Zealand to that total of 291. Josh Hazelwood came in to take five late wickets to finish with six for 52, which are the second best ever Champions Trophy figures. And that gave Australia a sniff in the game because New Zealand looked like getting well over 300 and um, Josh Hazelnut reined them in. Uh, just interesting the way... Hazelwood has adapted to English conditions in the past. We saw the last Ashes tour, he struggled to find his length in England. Probably needs to be a bit fuller than he normally bowls in Australia. I still think he's sort of still coming to terms with those conditions. Yeah, that's the great thing about travelling around the world. Um, You may be very successful in your own conditions or maybe a certain subcontinent or something like that, but you've got to keep adapting and changing. And it does take time. Uh, and you've got to be able to really have played a, a decent amount of cricket there. And what we've seen as well, because a lot of the Australian players don't go over and play county cricket, especially our, our top guys, they, they their opportunity is when they're in the Aussie colours. So it, it will take them a little bit of time. Hopefully, because of this washout, they got their practice run. So they've got that practice match that they've missed uh, and now they can they can find those right lines and lengths. Yeah, he, I think Hazelnut just needs to go a foot fuller, a foot or two fuller on English conditions. So Australia, they got away with a no result and a point from that game. Now they play Bangladesh and England in the remaining group games, both effectively must-win games now. The Bangladesh game is tonight, so you'd, you'd expect Australia to win that one. But then the big one is this Saturday night, England v Australia. It's effectively, you would think, going to be a knock, straight knockout game, perhaps, or at least if Australia loses, they'll be out, which is great motivation for England. I thought uh, they looked a little bit below par with the ball, though, against Bangladesh, England. I don't know if their bowling attack has the firepower to win this Champions Trophy. England have got a great batting lineup, but when I, if I read out Mark Wood and Liam Plunkett and Jake Ball as their three main quicks, I don't think that holds a lot of fear for the Aussie batting lineup. No, it doesn't. That's that's where their inexperience comes in. Yes, they've got the experience and runs on the board and the fact that they've got those senior players in their batting order. They are missing the, the likes of someone like an Anderson or people that have played a lot of international cricket. Um, yes, they might have a good day out. But are they going to be consistent? At the moment, I don't think so. It's not a, it's like not a very threatening bowling attack. The fact that they left out Adil Rashid for the first game, I find very strange because he's someone that 
has done well in one-day cricket. And you would think, especially coming up against Australia, you would want him in there because we've... we've he will be in there. You, yeah. they, they know that the Australians struggle against spin, um, against players that are able to bowl wrong-ins, and he bowls a lot of them and very effectively. So I think that you'll see him come into the side. And he could do some damage to our middle order. So could Moen Alley. I mean, we've given away easy wickets to <laughs> Moen Alley in the past. So. It's called egos. It is called egos. You just... <laughs> The Aussie batsmen want to hit him over the top and they keep getting out. What about um, for the Aussie spinner, Adam Zampa? He missed out on the first game. Uh, I think he missed out because of his haircut. But um, <laughs> I would, I think it would be good to have a spinner in there. With the way our lineup looks, it would be good to have that option. Well, you've got to think that the, the only spinner at the moment that we have given the side against New Zealand is Travis Head because it looks like Steve Smith isn't using Glenn Maxwell, which is a shame because I thought he bowled really well in the IPL. I think he started to to get a little bit more comfortable in his own skin. I think we can safely assume now that Steve Smith does not rate Maxie's bowling because this is an ongoing theme for the last year. He's bowling less and less, so um, yeah. Yeah, it is disappointing. But I also think by having a leg spinner in the side, regardless of what format it is, Numbers show you that they get you wickets. They may go for runs, and Zampa's the type of player that, that might, you know, go for runs. But he's just come on leaps and bounds. He with has, his, yeah. The white ball cricket. I mean, you've got to remember, what, a year ago he was the number one ranked bowler in ODI cricket for the most wickets, uh, and then he was left out in our uh, season, at the start of the season, yeah. wasn't he? So uh, I think this is his time to come back in and have a big impact. I just think he adds variety, you know, with all our quicks. And then you've got Moses on Reeks bowling medium pace. Having a spinner in those middle overs can just change the, the pace of the game. Another one that someone that could change the pace of the game we didn't see in the first game was Chris Lynn. Now, do you think he can bring his 20-over game to the 50-over game? Because we saw in his one of his one-day international appearances, he, he, he tried to play it like a T20 and didn't work. Do you think he can adapt to the 50-over game? Yeah, I think he can. I think he's... He certainly matured a lot because obviously there's a lot of expectation on him now. Every time he goes out to bat, everyone expects a certain style and for him to be really successful. He's He set IPL alight with his uh, the first innings uh, for Kolkata Knight Riders and unfortunately he, he redid his shoulder. So we didn't see him for a, a huge part of it. But when he came back in, he was able to pick up where he left off. So I think he's just in the form of his life at the moment. So I think he certainly can adapt to the one-day format. Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to get in for any no. of these Aussie games, whether they're going to stick with the same 11. But That's the problem with this tournament. There's only so it's such a small handful of games. It's do selectors chop and change or do they just stick with the same core group and away they go and hope that they find their form pretty quickly? Well, I guess Enrique's playing gives you one more bowling option and you'd probably want Lynn to come in for Aaron Finch, but he's been in pretty good form before the tournament. So he's just caught between two players just holding on to their spots. So that's the Australia v England game this Saturday. Huge game. Can't wait. I'm going to stay up for that one. I think it's a 7.30 start Australian Eastern Standard Time. A couple of other things with the Champions Trophy. I thought South Africa looked really good in beating Sri Lanka by 96 runs. This is just the sort of tournament South Africa could win because it's not a World Cup. It's um, <laughs> So they, they could... Still an ICC event. They've won this. They won the very first Champions Trophy. So they like these sort of second-rung ICC right, events okay. where the pressure's a bit down. But they're 
their bowling attack of Rabada, Morkel, Parnell, and Imran Tahir just looks really well balanced. You've got Tahir in the middle overs and Rabada coming on early with that pace. So I think they they are really looking good for the semis. Yeah, I, I think they're a quality side. Um, I think they've got the right mix of youth and experience, and their youth. You look at Decock, Rabada. They in, form international players. So. There's probably still some lingering disappointment about the exit from the last World Cup. They'll yeah, be looking maybe. to at least win something. I'd like to think that at some point these guys have to learn to move on and find ways of, okay, let's just focus on this tournament. I think if they get into the final, that's it's easy when... for us to say when we haven't been there. Yeah. Our breaking loss. <laughs> but uh, I think... Uh, I think if they were to get into the final, then you would think that certain emotions will start to come back into that team and those that were part of that World Cup campaign will start thinking, do we, can we? Are we going to choke again? Yeah, can we we win? Can we choke again? Um, (laughs) Now, India v Pakistan was played overnight. I only saw bits and pieces, but India thrashed Pakistan again. And it's just Pakistan cannot beat India in these big ICC events. So I think a billion people in India will be dancing around at the moment and celebrating. Yeah, they certainly will. Uh, some really good, strong batting performances. Uh, their batting looks really good. And um, Hardik Pandya, who in the IPL basically played the same role as what he just did the other night, as last night. He the Last year his IPL was ridiculous. I think he only scored 47 runs out of the total tournament, whereas his strike rate was so impressive this IPL. He's just got the confidence. He wasn't bowling a lot, so I was really glad to see that he was able to pick up wickets as well. So he seems to be very comfortable in what his role is. And I think when those players that are just under the mega stars start performing well and consistently, India become a very dominant side. Yeah, and they've got the Boomer bowling really Mm. good death overs, which... um which is just a great weapon at the end there. So India are a team to watch, and Pakistan, well, they've lost again to India. Well, that was our little chat about the Champions Trophy. Now we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with a former Australian coach's crazy idea for the Australian summer. In just those 15 overs. So he should have something left in the tank here for a late surge. The crowd will get behind him. You can hear them starting to clap. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. Fond memories there of Mitch Johnson at the Boxing Day test in 2013, getting Ben Stokes out. And, uh, Lise, John Buchanan, former Australian coach, has got, has got an idea to scrap the traditional Boxing Day and New Year's tests and, and go go down to a three-test summer. Now, what's your initial reaction? When I just throw that at you, what do you think? It could work. Wow, okay. Um, My initial reaction was to reel up in horror. And (laughs) if I'd seen John Buchanan at that moment, I would have told him what I thought. But then when I sort of sort of sunk in and I could accept the loss of two iconic tests. I, I, I maybe came around a little, but yeah, my first, your reaction is much better than mine. I was horrified at losing those tests. Well, I think you've got to, you've got to look at who, we, who we're playing. So five ashes, um, five ashes tests means a lot. Five, five tests against West Indies, probably not great. And having gone to the SCG for a long time to watch the fifth, test match of a series, a lot of the time the series is already gone. So 
it, it's kind of a dead game. And, and obviously you've got Jane McGrath Day, so that kind of creates a bit more buzz and the first day of the Test match creates buzz. But then, other than that, if the series is lost, then the fans won't come out. So if you have a three-test series, it's going to go down normally to the last test. So, And I also think I feel, I feel sorry for the players that are trying to get into the test side. All they have to prepare themselves is Big Bash. That's white ball cricket, four four overs with the ball and, you know, normally about 15, 15 balls to face in a in match. So they're not getting the preparation. So ideally, from a preparation point of view, they want to be playing shield cricket. But the big bash is very important during that uh, the school holiday period. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the Sydney test because it never used to be the end of the summer. There was always Adelaide and Perth after the Sydney test and it would be in the middle. So Buchanan's idea is that long-form red ball cricket should be at the beginning of the summer until mid-December and then the Big Bash should come in and take over until February. So no test matches when the Big Bash starts. And then at the end end of February, you can start the traditional 50-over one-day internationals in February, March. So that means you would see the Australian international stars in their big bash. Exactly. And and Buchanan also says that it would sort of solve any confusion in the marketplace when you've got fans, maybe there's a, a test match on during the day and then a big bash game at night. You, you would you would take that all the way and just have it very segmented parts of the summer. I mean, it's a, I think it could work. My, only, my fear is, though, that the Boxing Day test is one that I, I couldn't lose. I think that you really need that iconic test match. It's it's a worldwide event. And if you were to take that away, you're effectively marginalising test cricket and almost you're, you're effectively signing its death certificate if you just put it sort of at the beginning of the summer. And yeah, I don't know if the Boxing Day test could go. The Sydney test, though, as much as I love it and I think it's the best way to start every year, if that were to go, I could probably live with it. That's interesting, given you're a Sydney cider and that you love going to the Sydney test. I agree with you. The Boxing Day test, there's something very iconic. After Christmas Day, either you, if you're in Melbourne or you fly down and you get your tickets, Boxing Day test is great. And then for the rest of us, we just sit on the couch and with uh, all the leftovers from Christmas Day, we just feast on that and just sleep and wake up when there's wickets and exciting parts of the, of the game. But I think that we've got to be willing to, to be open-minded about different scheduling. Uh, I think there's so much cricket taking place. We've got to find the right time for each of the formats so that not one is affected by the other. And I think we saw that last summer, the fact that in the same city there was a big bash game going on to the test match. In Sydney it happened. Yeah, and there was hardly anyone there but sold out at the big bash. And we we don't want to do that. I don't think you want to do that. And one thing that Buchanan's theory had was that there was he had some kind of trickle-down effect that if you do this, you would have more top players playing shield cricket then you'd have more top players playing club cricket and it would just sort of feed through the whole system. And my only experience is that trickle-down economics has never worked and I don't know if trickle-down cricket has ever worked. So I don't know if he's a bit off with that, but I think Buchanan, if he wants to stop the confusion in the marketplace and strengthen the big bash, this could work. Yeah, it could work. I guess his idea about more experienced players playing club cricket, it's it's well known that everyone's concerned about club 
cricket around Australia, the fact that uh, your better players aren't playing, so your shield players hardly play. Yeah. Uh, internationals never play, um, and that's fine. Understand that. Uh, but shield players might play one or two. Uh, it means that there's no senior players there within that club system helping out the younger guys, and we're seeing a lot of older um, club players that have been a part of the club since they were 15, 16 years of age. They kind of, when they uh, retire from maybe first-class cricket, they're not even playing club cricket. So maybe it's a way of trying to keep that experience and help develop and grow because at each level we talk about it being you know, the, the real breeding ground for our next stars, future stars. So trying to strengthen grade cricket is certainly going to be an important part of that. So that's a crazy idea from John Buchanan, but it may have some merit and we'll see how that one plays out. I think it's going to be a while, though, before we see I those think so. two tests scrapped. But it, it, the, the schedule is an evolving thing and it, throughout history it has always changed. So um, who knows what the future might bring. Now, Lisa, we'll get to the meaty issue. We'll get to the meaty issue of this podcast. Now, you're a member of the Australian Cricketers Association Executive Committee, so we have a real window into what's going on between the ACA and Cricket Australia at the moment. Uh, I guess, what is the current state of play for the listeners? It seems like that the negotiations are being played out on Twitter and on press releases and the two parties aren't meeting at all. Is, is that right? Well, at the moment... The ACA has a, has rejected Cricket Australia's proposal and ACA has put their own proposal in front of CA. We've realised that nothing has progressed and ACA has asked for mediation and Cricket Australia has rejected that simply because what our proposal was and what CA's proposal is completely different. So we've got to try and find a middle ground and mediation was certainly a, a starting point. So at the moment... We're trying to work through that and trying to see if we can get to the table to, to really start to discuss the proposal. Um, from our point of view, we've, we've rejected Cricket Australia's and, and we haven't really heard their thoughts about our proposal. So we've got to start to do something because time's running out. How do you feel about the negotiations at the moment? Well, with all MOU negotiations, they tend to go right to the wire uh, and this one's certainly going to do that. I guess from my point of view, it, it, it's been interesting to see how it's played out. Um, the fact that a model that has been part of Australian cricket for 20 years is all of a sudden scrapped and, and no real reasons as to why it's being scrapped except that it just needs to be adapted doesn't make sense to me. I think, uh, I think it's important to kind of – you can't just completely change the goalposts and expect us to move on. Well, what's worked so well for 20 years, we'd probably like to start there. And then obviously there's plenty of flexibility with what uh, the ACA is suggesting. It's just more about just the model. Who cares about the numbers at the moment? But it's the revenue share is what uh, the players want. Yeah, I have two main points to make. Firstly, I think what Cricket Australia is missing from this whole thing is it's very hard to take something away from someone once you've given it to them. The players have the revenue share model and to take it away is almost foolhardy to think that 
they can just do that, the, what they're proposing. But also, I think Cricket Australia are missing something here, that they're making the current players responsible, or the ACA, for this de- decision about the revenue share model. And I'm pretty sure the current playing group and the current ACA do not want to be the ones that give up a revenue share model for future generations. Because once it's gone, they're not going to give it back. High-level corporate negotiations, it's very hard to get them to give something back worth tens of millions of dollars once it's been taken away. So there's a legacy issue there that I think the cricketers and the association feels that has to be sorted out. Yeah, I think spot on. I think uh, even though James Sutherland in uh, a letter to the players, which um, was leaked to the media, said that let's do a deal that's right for this group and in five years' time then we can do another deal. Uh, I think the players especially the current players, understand the importance they have now for the future generations. And they want to set it up. This, is, this isn't this is about numbers or amounts of dollars. This is about a pure partnership. They feel that they have a seat at the table whilst they have the revenue share model. Once you take that away, they lose that seat and they don't want to lose it. Yeah, and I guess it comes about control as well. You know, there's a, a sense here that Cricket Australia want to take control of the finances completely and have full reign over it. And the players, obviously, as you say, want a, a say in that uh, moving forward. There's been a couple of things that have been used as negotiation tactics. One of them is the pay for women's cricket is something that you're intimately associated with. W- what do you think about the way women's cricketers are being used as a pawn in this negotiation? And, and what's the general feel among the women's cricket community about this negotiation? Because you're hearing a lot from the men, but not so much from the women. Well, what CA have proposed uh, uh, with the numbers that they've given looks good at the moment and it's certainly a great start and something that ACA has has been forging for. So good to see that they've taken on some of the, the issues raised by ACA. As for are they great numbers, I'm sure they are, we, but we need to probably get the bigger picture and the financial records to know that they are good numbers. As for the CA using that as... I think you said a nego- yeah negotiating tac- tactics. Uh, I think it was a great story. So why wouldn't they share that? And it just shows that they are serious about women's cricket, which is great to see. Uh, the female players are behind ACA 100%. They understand that this isn't a negotiation just about them. Uh, it's about all cricketers. So it's not dividing them. So whilst at the moment it looks like the female players will – will receive, you know, hefty increase, they're concerned about state cricket, male and females. So to ensure that they're okay, uh, I think that's the main thing um, that we've seen in this negotiation, that whilst the, the best players in the country, male and female, will profit from Cricket Australia's current proposal, they're more concerned about, well, we want to make sure that all cricketers are going to be safe and the revenue share allows them. What about the the women's cricketers and the state cricketers being locked out of a potential BBL windfall. I mean, is that part of it, that when the TV rights for the WBBL and BBL go up, I mean, it's going to be a huge increase on what's come before. I mean, effectively, if there's no revenue share model, the the players are locked out of that who built made the product. Exactly. I think you've got to understand, and I've said this before, that I think there's three key stakeholders in the game. Firstly, no one really owns it. I think the administrators, the players and the fans and slash grassroots cricket really own the game. So all three need to work well together. Both Cricket Australia and ACA have identified that more money needs to be put into grassroots. Remember that 
uh, Ace, uh, the players have also given, I think, $85 million back into the game. So it's not like they're taking all the money for themselves and putting it in their mm. pockets. They're actually investing it back as well. So I think that's why they want to continue with this revenue share model. And whilst everyone is on, bo- on board and they are all united, I think they're trying to make Cricket Australia just listen to what they're saying. Yeah, and I guess we've got about three weeks until the current agreement runs out. What's your gut feeling? Are we going to have a sort of late on the 29th of June, you know, a press release agreement has, has happened, you know, or is this, is this heading towards an impasse? I'd like to think that a deal can still be done. I think both parties are really hopeful for it's hard that. hard if you're not talking, though. Sorry? It's hard if you're not talking to yeah, make a deal. Yeah, it is hard. I think the... There is talking going on, uh, whether it's actually at the negotiating table, you know, that's, that's just, let's, let's see what happens and what unfolds in the next three weeks. But both parties want the do- deal done. We don't want to put the players in an awkward position. Um, we want to see ashes take place here in Australia, both the male and female teams. So I do believe a deal will be done. Will it be done on the 29th? I don't know. Uh, who's doing the negotiation for Cricket Australia? Who's uh, at the table? Kevin Roberts is the main uh, negotiator, uh, and obviously they'll have a senior management group that deal with that. Yeah, so it's not James Sutherland's not at the table. Not yet. Not yet. You might have to. You might have to come in and sort things out. Well, that's a great insight into the current pay dispute. Now we're going to do something a bit lighter, a bit lighter, Lisa. After that, and because you're at the IPL, I've got an IPL winners and losers list, Aussie winners and losers from the last IPL, and I'm going to run a few past you. The first winner of the IPL, the first Aussie winner was Mitch Johnson. He bowled the last over of the, over of the final with Pune needing 11 to win. He dismissed Steve Smith and Tiwari. And his team, the Mumbai Indians, won by just one run. So Johnson starred in the BBL final and the IPL final, quite the double. Yeah, great performance by him. And the fact that throughout the IPL, he hadn't played a lot of games. So the Mumbai Indians had decided to go a lot with Mitch McLennigan uh, and had performed well previous year and also this year. So when he did come in, he had that impact. And you know what? He's the type of player, big games, he stands up, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, that was great theatre, that last over of the IPL final. Well, my first Aussie loser for the IPL was our captain, Steve Smith. Now, although he skippered Pune to the final, he, he really got the chase wrong in the IPL final. His tactics were too conservative. Smith himself made 51 or 50 balls, but... He made a key mistake in allowing Mumbai Indians to come back into the game and allowing the Mumbai death bowlers of Malinga and Bumrah to have a chance to sort of throttle Pune. So Steve Smith, great tour of India with the bat on the test match, batted really well in the IPL, but in the end he walks away empty-handed. Poor smudge. Yeah, he, uh, he he did captain the side well. Obviously, there were a few issues. He had taken over the side from MS Dhoni. Um, they did. There was a few moments there where it looked like MS was captain. Yeah, well, he's 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 captain cool, isn't he? And he has uh, the respect of all of the Indian players. Remember, it's an Indian domestic competition, so I'm sure MS Dhoni had a lot to play with the success of Pune uh, during the tournament. So Pune did well because they they. 
performed poorly at the start. But I agree with you. You've got to remember that Mumbai Indian bowlers, their death bowlers, and you mentioned Malinga and Bumrah, were so effective throughout the IPL that you almost need to go hard in the middle overs to give you yourself that time at the back end because you're going to find it difficult. And once you start losing a couple of wickets and new batsmen come in to face those type of bowlers with the pressure situation, you'd always go the bowler's side. Yeah, but look, he was fourth on the list of run scorers for the IPL and I guess great experience for Smudge. What do you think of Smith just generally? I think he's a young captain that's learning. I actually, I saw Mark Taylor on Sports Sunday and, you know, he rated him, I think, 8.5 or something along those lines saying that, you know, he's he's got to keep learning about how to deal with players, um, any uh, management that needs to be handled needs to be handled well. I think by captaining an IPL side, he's dealing with so many different types of personalities. You've got your franchise owners as well, the coach, MS Dhoni in your side. So I think those type of experience will certainly help him. I think he, he's, he's still a young captain and I think he, he learnt a lot last summer and the fact that they lost in Sri Lanka, lost in South Africa, lost the first part of the summer and he turned it around and since then, you know, he's looking good. So he's going really well. I didn't realise he has the same birthday as the War Brothers. So, um, Yeah, I noticed that this year as well on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so, um, all right. So the second winner of the IPL for Australia was Dave Warner. Although his side could not complete the heroics of winning the IPL like they did last year, Warner was the top run scorer with 641 runs at a strike rate of 142. He hit the highest score of the tournament, 126, and he hit the equal most sixes in the tournament. And just a great effort with the bat for Warner. We saw Virat Kohli had a great IPL last year, couldn't repeat the the same form with the bat this year. But Warner, back-to-back IPL years, has done so well. Yeah, he's been outstanding, his consistency. Uh, I think all of the commentators were saying over the last four or five years, he's consistently scored over 500 runs. So that's just a credit to him that he's able to perform when he needs to. And as the pressure of captaincy. Correct. And, And I think he's done a really good job with that side. And for them to do, obviously, win it last year, but then for again perform really well and throughout the tournament they were they were favorites them and Mumbai Indians looked the most solid from their lineup so uh, yes he would be disappointed that they he wasn't able to get them through again but I think Tom Moody and uh, David Warner there, there's a winning combination there certainly and uh, Warner's just done so well changing the impression of him worldwide now from a firebrand and getting in fights in a pub to a respected leader. Now, the second Aussie loser of the IPL, but in my mind, he's really a winner. (laughs) Usman Khawaja was paid 195,000 Aussie dollars to carry the drinks for six weeks uh, for Pune. So he didn't play one game, the whole IPL, and he didn't play one game in the whole Australian Indian Test Tour. So all in all, after four months in India, Usman Khawaja didn't play a game, but came back a couple hundred K in his bank Bank balance. So cricket's the loser, but really is a winner. Yeah, that's that's one way of looking at it. I guess I'll probably look at it with him in the sense that he would have been frustrated. Uh, and I saw him a couple of times uh, when I did the matches, and I said, "Have you? Re- do you remember how to bat?" He goes, "No, I don't actually." <laughs> uh, so can yeah. that do damage to a player though? Like just lose your rhythm, the frustration of just not getting out in the middle and seeing your mates do it all day. 
Look, he when I spoke to him, he had the right uh, attitude towards it. I mean, we saw that with the tweet as well that he put um, the water boy uh, saying, thanks, India, had a great time, and he tweeted um, the water boy. So it was perfect. He, he, he can still have a laugh. I think it depends on how he tackled his four months. If he thought, okay, look, I'm not going to get a game, but I'm going to work on a few things for the when I do come back here to play or for the Shield season or whatever – he could actually use this as a valuable time, as, as almost a pre-season for himself, to get fit, to spend hours in the nets working on things. So I hope that that's exactly what, what he did and, and just thought this is a, as a great pre-season camp. Well, we've seen a particularly relaxed demeanour from Usman right throughout the summer. So this layoff would have certainly tested how he can, if he can stay in that mindset. Um, the next Aussie winner of the IPL was someone we mentioned earlier, Chris Lynn. He topped the strike rates of all batsmen over 55 runs in the IPL. So he scored 295 runs at the whopping strike rate of 181. Uh, him and uh, Sanal Narayan put on like 105 overs to, to start a game for the KKR. How have the Indians taken to him? I mean, is he a, is he a bona fide star there now? Yeah, he is. So I'm going to be very interested to see what he goes for next year because a lot of people will be wanting him to be in their side. The fact that he was able to turn it on and even when he had he sat out that big chunk in the middle, when he came back again, he was able to, to pick up where he left off. He's just such a clean striker. Um, on their on their big screen, they kept going the insanity as well. So that started to catch on as it did here in the Big Bash. So he's certainly going to be a star over there and uh, – he deserves to be as well. Now, a fallen star, perhaps, and the final loser for this segment is one James Faulkner. The poor guy has had a rough IPL. He was he scored fifty four runs at thirteen at a strike rate of a below below a hundred, which is pretty bad in the T Twenty games. He scored. He only took six wickets at forty three. He almost went for a run rate of ten and over. You add that to his omission from the contract list. He's a mission from the Champions Trophy squad. Uh, James Faulkner is in absolute free fall at the moment. And I guess his redemption story is waiting to be written. Will it happen, Lisa? I don't know. I guess this will will test him as a player. Cricket Australia has always spoken about they want their players to be resilient. Well, he's certainly down the bottom of... of disappointments. Uh, obviously, whilst he was over there in the IPL, he found out the news about the contract, about not being selected in the Champions Trophy. So I felt for him and he wasn't playing, he wasn't even in the playing 11 uh, for Gujarat Lions as well. So he would have found it really difficult and probably showed in his performances when he did get the opportunity. I think it's important for him to get back home, be around his family, his friends, and remember why he, he wants to play cricket it's for the love of it. Yes, you want to get into certain teams and um, you want to be performing well. But if he goes back to just the basics, hopefully he'll put in a good preseason and then we'll start to see him the way that we've always seen him as a dominant player for Australia. Yes, a few years ago, just as an absolute superstar for the Aussie one day side now. Probably uh, working out what he's going to do next. He, look, he could just go from T20 tournament to T20 tournament and make plenty of money. Now, finally, this is now you're going to have to help me with this one, Lisa, because I can't work out where to put 
Glenn Maxwell, whether he's a winner or a loser from the IPL. Now, although he was second on the strike rate table behind Chris Lynn and joint first on the Sixers table with Dave Warner, he was also joint first on the Ducks table with three Ducks. So he was there up the top of three tables. And then at the end, he seemed to fall out with his coach, Verinda Saywag, and his team, the Kings Eleven Punjab, in a knockout game were rolled for 73 was that a was it a good or a bad campaign for Maxi or somewhere in between? I think it was somewhere in between. I think that he obviously took over uh, as the captain as well. First time he captain, I thought he did a great job in that. Uh, so I would actually probably put him a, on a win scale because even the previous IPL he didn't perform as well with the bat. Um, he didn't really bowl as well, so he had more of an impact in the games. Uh, and obviously leading the side, I thought he did fairly well. So I think I'd put him in the win category. What was going on with Saywag and him at the end of the tournament? I mean, you don't want your coach and your captain having especially a public spat like that. No, you certainly don't. Uh, You need to keep that behind closed doors and and you always, uh, in front of the public, present uh, one front. So there seems to be some issues with Kings Eleven. obviously changing coaching staff, a lot of changes in in the the coaching staff from last year. Uh, Joey Dawes was part of it, not renewed. And there was a lot of changes in the team as well. So they're still trying to figure out what their group is and, and, and what they need to do to win. They need to ensure, and we've seen this over the last few years, any IPL team that keeps their core group of players and predominantly core group of coaching staff tend to do well. The chop and change thing does not work. Well, Maxi will be better for the experience. And it was actually interesting to see him lead a side. He had a certain different persona about him. I don't know if you were around him, but I don't know how he coped with the responsibility. He seems a pretty laid back character. He doesn't take he, he doesn't seem to be he just a, seemed wide eyed the whole time. The whole tournament just wide eyed. I think he was just um maybe in awe of the responsibility that he had. You know, he's never had it. He's just kind of cruised behind and done his own thing. Whereas I think he he probably learned a few lessons of how to lead a group of players. Um I think he'll be certainly better for the experience. Um, you've got here Willie captain again. I'd like to think so. I think he's shown enough that he could potentially captain again. Um, sometimes is Saywag making this decision because mm, if he is, who knows who makes the decisions when it comes to franchise cricket? <laughs> All right. Well, that was men's winners and losers from the IPL. And listeners, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with what's made us happy in the cricket week. But before we do, I just want to let you know that the Have a Go Your Mug promotion is back this year. This part time if you leave a review for the podcast on a, on the iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show you will go in the mug and in the drawer for a have a go your mug mug so please if you've got time do that and then email me that you've left a review so I can uh, put you in the drawer remember if you want to get in touch with the podcast run on gmail Oz cricket pod that's a u s cricket pod at gmail.com we're also on twitter at Oz cricket pod We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. And please tell all your cricket-loving mates about the Australian Cricket Podcast. Uh, But you can't afford to lose six, seven wickets for 30-odd runs in six overs. I mean, that's when all momentum goes out. Australia won that game, I think, in that period. Even though they got off to a slow start with the bat, I still think they'd have chased down that total today. I can happily say that now because it's abandoned and no one will know. Um, But by rest... Do, do, Do you believe that? Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was Graham Swan for Test Match Special, BBC Test Match Special, saying he thinks... 
Australia would have won that game against New Zealand. So I don't know what game Swanee was watching. And BBC Test Match Specialists celebrating their 60th anniversary this year. So congratulations to them. Uh, Swanee, pull your head in, son. I don't know what... Yeah, I think Swanee wasn't really watching. <laughs> now, let, let's get into our final segment, and it's what's made us happy in the cricket week. And I've got two, so I'll start off with my first one, Lee, so I'll get the ball rolling. And when I was interviewing Sean Carey from Cricket Australia, he told me that there was one international cricketer that requested a chicken burger, chips, and a can of Coke at every break while they were touring Australia. And I think we may have found a suspect for who did that. One Umar Akmal for Pakistan was sent home from the Champions Trophy for not being fit enough. (laughs) Can you believe that? And so I think we may have a suspect for who was eating too many chicken burgers down under. Oh, I was thinking of the Australian team. I I have a few names I thought that could could have been. Yeah, anyone? Well, they, I'll just keep it to myself. They said that Sean said it was a tourist, though. So oh, okay. He didn't throw any of his local players <laughs> under the bus. But Umar Akmal sent home for being overweight from the Champions Trophy, not something you'd expect. Did you ever have anything like that in your career? Oh, there were plenty of times that they spoke to me that I needed to get fitter, <laughs> and you just got fitter because yeah. you wanted to play for your country. I wonder if Umar's doing laps at the moment. What's made you happy in the last week of cricket, Lisa? Well, I was very fortunate enough to get an invite by Cricket Australia up to Brisbane on Saturday night. It was a, an opportunity to farewell the current uh, Australian squad that goes over to England to play in the Women's World Cup in England. Uh, but they did also bring the six winning teams that have won World Cups, uh, all their support staff, partners, flights, accommodation. Was it a wild night? Uh, it was a wild night, but they presented uh, from 2005, uh, pre-2005, the winning teams never received a winning medallion. So Cricket Australia with ICC minted some winning medallions and presented that to the players. But what I really enjoyed and what made me happy was to see uh, the 1978 team get treated like they should be treated. You know, had limousine drivers waiting for them to be picked up at the airport and they were made to feel special. And, and hopefully it brings, especially in women's cricket, since integration has happened, we've kind of forgotten about the past. Hopefully this bridges uh, the past to the future. And the fact that a lot of the current team, uh, Elisa Healy was certainly one of them that was going up and speaking to former past Australian players about their campaign, what they learnt about touring, uh, how they could approach it as well. So uh, it was a wonderful night. It was a late night, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stories were shared uh, and it was really nice to be part of it. Well, I imagine that 1978 team must have had it completely different to what even you had it. I mean... Well, it was a round-robin competition. It was 60 overs and, uh, you know, they had to fund themselves. So that's why in the early stages of Women's World Cup, it wasn't every four years. It was whenever whoever could raise the... Yeah, whoever raised the money. Yeah, so it was certainly different, but uh, wonderful to hear their experiences. And actually, if you want to hear about how Women's World Cup started, I recommend downloading the interview I did with Alison Mitchell where we talked about how Rachel Hayhoe-Smith and um, a benefactor started the Women's World Cup all those years ago. And look, I've got one more thing that's made me happy this week, Lisa. I think a light-hearted thing to end the um, podcast on is uh, Adam Zampa has got the worst haircut in international cricket at the moment. He's got some version of a, like a, a peroxide 
bleached mop on his head at the moment. Now, he last year he had the headband, with the Nathan Bracken headband, which was pretty bad. And then he lent it to Steve Smith and he obviously never got the headband back because he's now gone and bleached his hair and it was just an awful haircut. Yeah, I've seen it uh, on Twitter. Doesn't look great. But you know what? The Australian team has always done things a little bit differently. I, I remember around uh, Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee, there must have been a competition for the ugliest sunglasses because they all had terrible sunglasses when they played. So maybe we're starting to move into the terrible haircuts. Yeah, well, Adam Zampa, he wins the award for the worst haircut at the Champions Trophy and it certainly made me happy because when it was (laughs) raining and there wasn't much going on against New Zealand, had a bit of a giggle about his haircut. So they need some fashion advice going forward in the Australian cricket team. (laughs) Well, listeners, I think we'll wrap it up there. Lisa and I have covered all the all the news in cricket. Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. That's all right. Always enjoy it, Menas. What's happening for you uh, now? What are you up to after this? Well, I've got head to England for the Women's World Cup. Uh, so hopefully uh, the Australian team will win their seventh title. But it's going to be... So uh, you're commentating on that? Yeah, commentating on that. Have they let some female commentators into an ICC event? Yes, they have. They're very good at that. Uh, So I'm there with Melanie Jones, Alison Mitchell, uh, Anjum Chopra, Ian Bishop will be there as well, Sanjay Mandraker, Alan Wilkins. I think Isha Gua is joining as well. So So you can tell Sanjay about his... I will Rehearsals actually. Rehearsals on the IPL. Oh, well, he will not be happy. <laughs> um, but it should be a great tournament because the fact that we had the ICC champions, sorry, the women's championship where the top eight teams played each other over the last few years means that they're not coming into the tournament unaware of what Pakistan or West Indies or other countries will do can perform. So I think there's probably three countries that will perform well, England, New Zealand and Australia, with Australia to win. Yeah, and interesting to see how the interest level in Australia – is towards this campaign on the back of two successful WBBL summers that now, you know, a lot of the general public will know these players playing for the Southern Stars and get behind them and hopefully they'll lift the title. Yeah, fingers crossed. You'll have to let me know if there's a lot of interest back home. I will. Well, at least take care and thanks again. Listeners, thanks so much for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. We'll be back next week with a full review of the Australia v England Clash. (laughs) 